0: Hey there, I'm Jamin Baxter, and I serve Moody Radio as the Director of Business Development. Our team's job is to find businesses that love Moody Radio and Jesus Christ and want to support the work we do financially, just like you. Today, I'd like to introduce you to United Faith Mortgage. Simply put, they are a faith-focused mortgage team serving clients across the United States. They've put together a team with Christian values with faith and family at the core, they know that this is arguably the most important purchase of your life. Check out the top five things you should know about United Faith Mortgage at unitedfaithmortgage.com. Thanks to you and United Faith Mortgage for supporting Moody Radio. This is Ed Stetzer live, and I'm Ed Stetzer, and we are indeed live today. And we come at you this and every Saturday about this time. Of course, a lot of you listen to this on the podcast, and let me encourage you to uh, to do that. You can go to edstetzerlive.com, and from there, just follow the links, and you'll be able to subscribe to the podcast wherever you download your podcasts. Uh, You know, if you're using, you know, was it Apple Podcasts, things of that sort? That's that's what what I use, and other lots of different things out there, Stitcher and Google, and all that sort of stuff. But you can download. I just set it up so that every week you never miss, miss an episode of Ed Stetzer Live. And so we're excited to be with you today. So, you know, every Saturday I get to be your host here at Ed Stetzer Live. What a blessing it is to work with Moody Radio, my friends at Moody Bible Institute. You know, Moody Radio is a ministry of Moody Bible Institute, and uh, Ed Stetzer Live is a, is a production of Moody Radio. And But in my, in my day job, I guess, in my Monday through Friday, Friday job, I've actually been teaching all week at, the, uh, at Wheaton College, where I serve as the dean of the School of Mission, Ministry, and Leadership. And one of the things that I love to do, I just had the privilege, had, you know, I was with students all week, so I've been teaching all week. We have a partnership with an organization called Propel, and uh, some of you are familiar with the name Christine Kane. She's been on the program. And we have over 100 women doing their master's degree in this program. So we're excited about that. But why am I telling you all that? What does that get to do with today? Stay with me. So one of the things that we love to do is we take our students, in this case, the students this past week. We had uh, five different cohorts of Propel Women leaders. And we take them to the archives. And when you go in the archives, the thing that everybody loves to see, actually more than more than anything else, to be perfectly honest, and I've had the privilege of taking so many people through this. I remember taking uh, Pastor Rick Warren up to the archives, and he wanted to take a picture with this particular thing in the archives. You may wonder uh, what that is. Literally, I'll say to the archivist, Catherine Graybur, so her name. She's doing a great job, and I'll say, um, "Can you actually make sure that we show the journal?" So, which journal? Well, on October twenty eighth, nineteen forty nine, Jim Elliot, who we have his archives there. One of the reasons because he was a Wheaton, he went to Wheaton College and others who, who died on that beach, if you know the story. Uh, he writes in October 28, 1949, um, really just showing that his belief, his commitment to Jesus uh, was the most important thing to, um, in his life. I think in terms of Luke 9:24, whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever will lose his life for my sake uh, will save it. He writes in his journal, and it's actually interesting. It's highlighted now. We don't think he highlighted it. We think somebody, before it was given to the archives, highlighted it. And it says, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose, unquote. And later he cites Luke sixteen nine, uh, that when it shall fail, they shall receive you into everlasting uh, life. And this became very famous, right? So he... He it um, becomes famous in part because of his, his death, his martyrdom, and in starting to reach an unengaged people group, he actually um, he actually he and and, and, the, and his partners there actually are killed. And there's a whole beautiful story that goes around this. There's a documentary called Beyond the Gates of Splendor. Uh, there's all uh, there's a movie, and I think it was 2006, called The End of the Spear. Uh, and it's, it's actually based on the story of uh, Nate Saint and and ultimately how Nate Saint's son comes back to return uh, to, to reach the indigenous people there in Ecuador. Okay, so why am I telling you all this? Well, here, here's the thing that I think is really important. Um, there's more than one way to give your life. There's more than one way to not be a fool. There's more than one way to... Uh, to ultimately share the gospel. Now, now Jim Elliot uh, lost his life, and in doing so, um, he he gave gave his life. Is maybe even better way to put it. And so I, um, you, you may remember, I guess it was what was that in 2018 in the before time before COVID, um, there was a missionary named John Chow. And he became very controversial around the world. Very different response to um, John Chow's death in uh, remote uh, islands off of India. And I actually wrote an article. The Washington Post asked me to write an article, and we'll we'll uh, we'll put this in the show notes. I'll, I'll send this to you, Karen. I didn't give this to you ahead of time, but uh, but there's an an article that I wrote, and it actually became. Uh, one of the most read articles on the Washington Post that day. And uh, I, I talked about you know, some concerns about how he might have done. Um, and, and I had done some research and talked to some people that were involved. This was before the full story could come out because there were people in danger and more. And here's here's what I, I wrote: uh, Propagating one's religious beliefs through missionary activity is practiced by segments of the world's largest religions. I give examples of others. I said even the United Nations affirms missionary activity as a legitimate expression of belief. And uh, and I talked a little bit about St. Patrick as as a person of Irish heritage. And and then what I what I wanted to tie in is um, is ultimately a little bit of the story. So this is. Um, well, let me just read. I said, both critics and supporters have compared Chow to Jim Elliot, a 20th century Christian missionary who learned a native language, gathered a team of like-minded people, and carefully planned a visit to a remote Ecuadorian tribe. And, uh, and I said, on January 8th, 1956, Elliot and four other Christian missionaries who were, like Chow, killed by the people they were trying to reach. Elliot and his team ended up on the front page of Life magazine prompting a surge in modern missions. Chow's story is in countless media feeds that have promoted, uh, promoted a missions backlash. And I talk a little bit, there are similarities, a lot of differences. Um, but some of the differences are in our culture, I said, and I, I, I continue on here. People are much more negative about missions, partly because of the mistakes that missionaries have made. And um, and then I quote, right? I say, back to the Washington Post, I said, as I write this, less than 100 feet away is a letter Jim Elliott wrote. This is in the Washington Post. As a Wheaton College graduate, he has a special place here. As Elliot wrote, uh, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Here at Elliot's alma mater, we still believe and train missionaries. To some, that makes us fools. But we pray our students will engage in their culture and others well and in appropriate ways with care for the health and well-being of all and with others in partnership. If that makes us fools, I wrote in the Washington Post, we will be quote fools for Christ unquote First Corinthians chapter four verse ten. Now the reason I wanted to give you that lengthy introduction is because I really just wanted to set some foundation. Because when you hear a little bit about what we're going to talk about today, your mind is going to immediately go to um, to Jim Elliot, and I and, and I get that. I'm not I'm not surprised or or disappointed. I mean I think that's that's fine. But what I love about today's guest, and I think this is probably a long introduction for hearing for today's guest, what I love about today's guest is he's the author of a book, and the title is Love So Amazing, and it's the missionary biography of Bert and Colleen Elliott. Don't, don't miss that, right? The missionary biography of Bert and Colleen Elliott, and they too have followed a path, uh, to missions. They too serve the Lord, not just in their death, but in a decades long life. Both have a place in the mission of God. Both are worth celebrating. But we we tend to know you probably knew the name John Chow when I talked about you know, his story. You might have known the name Jim Elliott, but you might not have known the name, uh, the, the names of the Elliots here who ultimately tell their story. You might not have known the name of Bert and Colleen Elliott. So let me tell you about my guest. And then we're going to jump into our interview and our conversation with him. Gilbert Gleason is my guest. He grew up on the Navajo Reservation in northern Arizona, where his parents were missionaries. That experience really helped enrich his understanding of the opportunities and challenges of missionary life. He married Sue Elliott in 1979, pastored Grace Bible Fellowship since 1981, He teaches mission classes for Perspectives on the World Christian Movement and served on the board of Eagle Fern Camp and currently on the board of the Elizabeth Elliott Foundation. Hey, Gilbert Gleason, sorry for the long intro, but I want to make the connection, as I'm sure others have in conversations with you. But thanks so much for joining us on the program.
1: Thank you. It's wonderful to be with you. And thank you for that introduction. I think that was very helpful in terms of the backstory and what we're going to be talking about today.
0: Yeah, well, so you start, let's start with even just right at the beginning with the title of the book. By the way, I should tell you, my crack team, Karen Hendren, who's our producer, has already put that link up there to the article I mentioned in the Washington Post. So people could read that there if they're so inclined. But you wrote this book and it's called "Love." the title, Love So Amazing. Let's just start right at the beginning. Why did you choose the title Love So Amazing?
1: So in order to write this book, I, I wrote, I went through... Um, letters from Burton and, and and they're verse, vociferous writers, and Colleen wrote about a 1,000 letters home through the years, and so I had a wealth of information, and, and knowing them personally and, and spending the last 30 years with them, one of the things that stood out for me was the word love. They, they had a great understanding of God's love for them. They had an intimate love of God. Their love for each other was obvious to all and they loved people. I mean that that's what would, would just the thing that captured you about them. And so as I was writing the book and I was looking for, you know, what kind of chapter what kind of title and this these words that come out of Isaac Watts and many of you probably as soon as you heard that thought thought of Isaac Watts' words, Love so amazing, so divine demands my life, my soul, my all. And to me that captures who they were, and their life. And I'm in contact with a lot of people who knew them. And as people have heard that, that, that title, they'll look at me and say, perfect, perfect, because their life was so marked by the love, as I said, the love for God, love for each other, and the love for people. When you're with them, you knew that they loved you.
0: Love it. We're going to start jump into our conversation here. Uh, the book is brand new. It's, it came out June, 20, June 1st, 2021. So the book is just relatively new. I mean, months old. And it's a fascinating conversation pointing people to a missionary life. It's Love So Amazing, the missionary biography of Bert and Colleen Elliott. Gilbert Gleason is the author. We're going to continue our conversation with Gilbert Gleason. Take your calls as well in just a moment. If you want to get in line and get in that conversation, 877-548-3675. Hey, we're back and starting our conversation uh, around kind of a, a life and a story of faithfulness. People who were no fools, who didn't give up their lives. I guess in a sense they gave up their lives, but they gave up their lives in decades of service as well. Gilbert Leeson's our guest. The book we're talking about is "Love So Amazing," and "Love So Amazing" specifically is the missionary biography of Bert and Colleen Elliott. Um, Gilbert, just above, I'm, I have I'm in my basement studio. But just above me, I think literally right above me in my living room, I have a little glass case. And inside that glass case, I have a copy of the first missionary biography uh, published in America. It's written by Jonathan Edwards. It's the biography of David Brainerd. uh, missionary. I think the title is Missionary to the Indians. And so I love missionary biographies. My PhD is in missions. I lead the School of Mission, Ministry and Leadership. So I love that you wrote this because I think a lot of people don't necessarily... Uh, Think through uh, what really, uh, for most missionaries, giving their lives looks like, and and in this case, giving their lives for Bert and Colleen Elliott looked like a a decades and a lifetime of faithful service. So, tell us a little bit about the the journey. Uh, Let's let's start at the beginning. How did Bert and Colleen? Because you tell us in the book, how did Bert and Colleen prepare themselves for mission work?
1: So they. Um, Bert grew up in a home where his father was an itinerant preacher. His mother was a, was a chiropractor, but they loved the Lord. He said for breakfast every morning they had oatmeal and, and the Bible. That's her, his dad taught them the um, Bible every morning, and they were, they were um, filled with it. And through the years, in, those, in his growing up years, they, they had missionaries around their dining room table all the time and Aunt Colleen had that in, in her home as well. So they first there's a commitment they had, they made to, to the Lord, and a commitment they made to each other. It's interesting, the commitment made to each other, that was, it was based on their ability to serve the Lord together. Bert said, when I was looking for a spouse, he said, I looked for the, the gals that came down downtown Portland with us and did street preaching, because those are the ones that were committed, and Colleen was down there all the time, and and um, leading the singing and that type of thing, so they they had that shared heart for the Lord and heart for ministry. They, um, birth training was more, mainly informal. The preaching he heard growing up, he was mentored by his father. They went on several um, preaching trips where his father would preach and he would preach. Um, they did some formal studies. So, so Colleen did the. In 1947-48, she did the School of Missionary Medicine, which was a part of Biola. And um, it it helped. It was just perfect for her in terms of um, gave a rudimentary rudimentary, um, training in in jungle medicine. And a taught her how to treat malaria and take care of snake bites and deliver babies. It was just the whole thing. And then both Mm. of them went to Summer Institute of Linguistics. He went in Norman, Oklahoma, and she went up in Kernport, um, Canada. And so they had they had some, they didn't do a lot of formal training, but they they had several places of that. And a lot of it was mentorship, just learning from being together with people and learning what ministry was all about in that in that context. But, they're, Fascinating. but they, their, their their com- their commitment was to the mission field so that even at one point in their, most of their date, what we'd call their dating, their relationship time, they had commitment to each other, but not a, they were not formally engaged. There was, there was one time when, when Bert wrote Colleen a letter and said, you know, I'm questioning how committed am I and how committed are you to missions? To so the point where if I were to go to Peru and you were not, should we really still be going together if your commitment is not that serious to go to missions? So they had a deep commitment to serving the Lord that was a faithful part of their pre-marriage. It wasn't just, you know, butterflies and, and love and all that, though there was that, but there was, there was a commitment that they shared together to serve the Lord.
0: Love that. It's kind of a recurring theme we hear in missionary biographies, which one of the reasons I think they're valuable is that they remind us, they point us, to this call that is, uh, you know, all-consuming. I'm Southern Baptist, and so Lottie Moon comes to mind, and Lottie Moon, sure. who yeah. in correspondence with one of her suitors, basically said, "You know, I'm, I'm committed to mission." It sounds like you're not, and so <laughs> they were both committed there. Um, how do they exemplify that? What does it look like to give up their their lives and comforts for the cause of Christ for the for for them? What did it look like for the, for the Elliots here?
1: It, it's just um, every every decision they made. So they'd get up in the morning, the first thing they would say is, Lord, what, what do you have us to do today? They didn't have these long range goals of we're gonna reach this many and have this many churches and start this, that, and the other thing though, they did some of that. But but their goal was just obedience to Jesus Christ. What does God want from me today? And um, and so they went into into the Peru in 1949, it was very primitive, very very frontier jungle living. They got to the home down there, and they shared it with another missionary a couple who would invited them to come down. They shared the home, and there was no outhouse in the home. They had, you know, there it was, it was used no running water, no electricity. There, there was just a just living, basically living off the land, and um, and they he had a Bert had a, a desire to provide for his for his bride some of the comforts of North America and he was he struggled with how to do that but but they I mean they they lived very simply down there yes I think their first home I think it cost about $35. $35 (laughs) stunning and of course we recognize that money money had
0: a different value then but not that different
1: (laughs) not that different and and he, he he had to redo it to make it a livable space for his bride
0: yeah fascinating. So here thing I didn't tell you this before we talked offline but I've actually trained church planters in Trujillo in Peru Peru and uh, taught a class there as a as a seminary professor at a school there. And um you know this is where they go and minister and uh you know this this part of this legacy that's there when I was there it was I mean it was a city that was we I we we met it was kind of a you know it's a seminary. it's kind of a You know, things are walled in a lot of places in the world, so kind of a a walled with a gate. And outside we go and get a pop afterwards and, you know, the restaurant down the street. But that's not what it looked like in 1949. Tell us a little bit about what life in Peru was like in 1949.
1: What year were you there?
0: Gosh, uh, I was a professor at Southern Seminary at the time. So had to be early 2000s.
1: Early 2000s. Okay. So they were probably still around at the time. Yep. So interesting, the first place they landed when they went down there was to Trujillo yep. and Sal- Salvador, which is right off the was which is on the coast there. So that was their first introduction. But they from there and and there's uh, they talk about the restaurants and when they ate there, they started out in the jungle. So they, they went from there down to. Um, down to Lima, and then they they went over to the jungle and they lived there for about 37 years. And from there they, and, and that's where the, the things were really rough. So they weren't allowed to do open air preaching. So they did all their their work. Um, they started out in, in, in um, Iquitos or in Lagunas, and just a little church there learning Spanish, learning the culture. And then they went up and down the, the rivers there on, on boat ministry and they'd go in these little villages and and with their training so colleen would start they start out in the morning with devotions and time of prayer and then they open up the the boat there they have boat where they could do medical work and she'd do medical work and he'd pull teeth he'd pull thousands of teeth through the years and then in the afternoon they'd do visitation in the village and then at night they'd have open air or preaching and not open there because they couldn't do that but preaching and in in some of the homes there, and they'd have a couple people come to Christ, and then move to the next village, and they'd mm-hmm. they'd go up and down that um, that river time and time again, just planting these little churches. And in total, somebody's estimated they planted about 150 or 155 churches. But they did that for the first 37 years of their ministry was was really based in the in the jungle there.
0: Fascinating. I, I would not be surprised if some of the students that I trained were from some of those churches, though I did I wouldn't have known at the time, because part of the reality is, I mean, the Elliott name would have certainly, people in the West would have known that name. But they, in many ways, chose to minister in obscurity. I mean, the thousand letters are ways to tell the story. And I want to get to that in just a minute. But first, I mean, because Jim Elliott's not, I mean, the front page of Life magazine, right? If you walk through the hall at Wheaton College, the second story uh, in Blanchard, kind of the castle in the middle of the campus, you can actually see after, uh, after Jim Elliott's death and, and, and more, um, this huge bump in students going to missions. We have it on the wall there, students who went to missions. So how does the death of Jim Elliott impact their life in ministry? Because that's kind of a marker point for a lot of people. They're familiar with that story.
1: Let me tell you a quick story first. The, the men were killed in 1956. In about 1951 or 52, before Jim went to Ecuador, Bert and Colleen went to Peru, um, they went to Lima to take care of some doctor's visits and that type of thing, and they ran into several Wheaton graduates down there. Hmm. Hmm. And they found out that Bert was the the brother of Jim Elliott. This was before the big story popped. And Aunt Colleen writes in her letter, we find out we're the brother of the famous Jim Elliott. Because the Wheaton students, everybody knew him. You know, he right. was a he was a man on campus, and he was the head of the the Student Missionary Union, and and he had a way of challenging people and encouraging people, and so so that legacy was there. Um, they were home when Jim and the other four men were killed, and so in the book I tell the story from the Elliot family's perspective of what they heard and when they heard it, and the impact it had, on Bert's first reaction was, um, if people give their life to God, why does not God protect them? Yeah. And why does he allow them to die? And there was, ai wouldn't call it a crisis in faith, but there was a question of, God, why is that, that you don't protect them? And then his second reaction was, why Jim and not me? Because he mm-hmm. felt, he felt Jim was, had so much um, fervor and zeal and dedication and abilities and gifts that he he took the the more powerful of the brothers and left left Bert with his comparably meager gifts and abilities but it really after they wrestled through that it really spurred them on to a to a deeper and stronger commitment Bert was at the, the Fleming Pete Fleming and the Elliott family were very close here in the in the northwest. And so Pete's family asked Bert if he, if he would come and speak at, at Pete's memorial service. And he talked about David and Bathsheba. You know, I've done a lot of funerals in my day, but I've never considered that story. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But he, he, he tied in on Uriah and he says, we send men into battle, and we sit home in our comforts, and this is in 1956, we sit home in our wealth and our comforts and let them flounder out there. And one of the last letters they got from Jim was, was concerning um, going in and reaching the Alcas, and he makes a statement at the end. He says, I know you'll be praying. And Bert says, did I pray? Have we been praying? And do we really uphold our missionaries?" In um, in prayer, and do we support them when they're in the, in the middle of the battle that's going on? So they went back down to Peru after that. Yeah. Um, There's never a question of, that they would return. They got down there, and in God's province, somebody, one of the men up here had given them some cabinets to take to the jungle, and when they got down to Lima, the, the cabinets went down to Chile, and so they had sit in Lima for a while. The way from. During that week, one of the missionaries came to them and said, would you go up to Cajamarca with me, and let's see the mission work in Cajamarca.
0: Fascinating. We're going to continue our conversation uh, really in just a minute, talking some about the well the Elliot legacy and more. We're going to continue our conversation with Love So Amazing's author in just a moment. Hey, we're back, Ed Stetzer here having a conversation about well, missionary missionary biographies. Actually, I, I should also mention the missionary biography is about Bert and Colleen Elliott. The book is called "Love So Amazing: The Missionary Biography of Bert and Colleen Elliott." And and um, you know, usually I mention the publisher, so and so, so and so, but people don't publish missionary biographies much today. But Ed Stetzer loves missionary biographies, so I love having Gilbert Gleason on. Um, we should also mention too. We we've you know, mentioned a couple times. Um, uh, Jim Elliott, and we should mention there were four other missionaries: Ed McCulley, Roger Udarian, Pete Fleming, who who you just mentioned a minute ago, Gilbert, and their pilot Nate Saint. They were all a part of that as well. And so I, I, my office is on the fourth floor of the of Billy Graham Hall, and I actually look over Macaulay Stadium. So a lot of this is just what we see on a regular basis uh, at Wheat College and what we talk about, you know, sometimes. But I love the fact that you have um, really just waded in to this missionary biography. And I want to invite our callers as well, because you may have questions about their lives. Again, um, Bert and Colleen Elliott, Love So Amazing is the title of the book, The Missionary Biography of Bert and Colleen Elliott. We're talking to Gilbert Gleason, who's the author. Um, actually, his parents were missionaries on the Navajo reservation where he grew up. Um, Had a passion for telling the story. Married Sue Elliott in 1979, been a pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship and teach us some um, with the Perspectives on the World Christian Movement. If you're not familiar with that, actually, I just announced Sunday at our church, we're starting our, um, was it August, we're starting our Perspectives class. People just call it the Perspectives class, and we're going to talk about missions as well. I want to invite you, maybe you've got questions about missions, maybe you've got a story about uh, missionaries that have impacted you, or maybe even some short but untold story. 877-548-3675. Again, our number is 877 877- Five, four, eight, three, six, seven, five. One of the things you talk about that's kind of key in there gilbert is is bert's quest to find out quote what god made me for unquote tell us about
1: that so bert bert grew up with with his younger brother jim and what do you do when your younger brother outshines you but he recognized that it's real interesting when they went to summer institute of linguistics when bert did um, Elizabeth Howard, who became Elizabeth Elliot, was in the same class with him. And so they, they developed their friendship. And she, in her letters, writes this about Bert. She says he or that's Bert, has not the strength of character nor first force of personality which Jim has, <laughs> or nearly the self-discipline. In Jay, I see all that I think of as true, pure man- manhood. And I write, in, in other words, Bert was no Jim Elliot. Wow. Interestingly, Bert would have been the first to, to agree. And there, there was a sense in which Bert, at one point, Bert had said to Jim, you know, you go to the mission field or you do what God wants you to do. And um, I'll stay home and support you. So so Bert saw in him, but he, he, he struggled. I Struggle might be too long. He, he, one of his quests was that he talked about later in life. He said, I, I set out to find out what God made me for. And that's the question that we need to be asking. And so he looked at himself in contrast his abilities with his brothers, said, what is it that God wants me to do with what he's given me? And he's more mechanical. He's He was never a good student. He didn't enjoy, I mean, he was, he was a great preacher. He knew the word of God. He loved the word of God. But him and school didn't agree. And, um, and... So he he had this quest for what, is, what does God want me to be doing? What does is, what is he set out for me to do and, and use the abilities? And, you know, now we have all kinds of personality tests and gifts and abilities tests, and that wasn't there then. But I want to read one excerpt from Please. that Colleen wrote that that illustrates how that comes out. She writes in one of her letters, she said, I'm often amazed as I watch Bert on these trips. And this is the river trips where they go up and down the river and all that. Pulling 30, 40, 50 teeth in the morning, patiently removing in a deeply embedded splinter in a girl's leg, counseling, encouraging, exhorting, taking time to stop and look up some family of believers that have grown cold, getting folks together who are offended, fixing the currency and lamps of the small churches that always seem to be in disrepair, making a part for the broken-down electricity-generating plant in one of the towns, managing the boat through difficult waters, and constantly making little improvements here and there on it, and then somehow, I don't know how, coming up with an appropriate message for the meeting each evening, as well as teaching in a training session for the leaders. I probably shouldn't be the one to extol Bert's virtues like this, but perhaps I was extra aware of all he does For the people on the river, because it was constantly in my mind that this might be our last trip upriver in the Maranatha, which is their boat. So you can see how God pulled a lot of those different strengths that he had. Um, Loving people, maintenance, that type of thing, to really use him in a way that that God had designed him for. And that's one of the things that he he really uh, majored on.
0: Yeah, I could totally see how, you know, because we know Jim Elliott's story. And, and one of the things that yeah. people, people just – a lot of people just know what happened there in the beach in Ecuador. But um, when he was at Wheaton College, he actually uh, did this thing. He quotes the Bible to the president um, of the student body uh, and why he's not going to this party. And, and this you know, this these weren't wild parties. You know, Wheaton College is not like a wild party place. Um, he, fun fact, he was actually um, – he was threatened to be kicked out of—there was this political public speech club, and he was supposed to give a political speech, and he actually didn't believe Christians should be involved in politics. And he was actually a pacifist. People don't know this, right? And, um, and so very strong-worded—you know, he was. I mean, he was all those things that Elizabeth would describe. And so then Bert. I mean, this is why I love the fact that you wrote about them. Uh, I mean, the life of fidelity and faithfulness, 150 churches, that just made such an amazing difference. It's just so super encouraging. Let's, let's take some calls. We, we've actually got Joel. Joel from West Liberty, Ohio. You are live on the air with Gilbert Gleason. Go
2: ahead. Hello, Gilbert. I was born in Ganado, Arizona in 1958 while my parents were with Navajo Gospel Mission. And I've heard many stories about the Gleason family there. And I'm assuming you're one of them.
1: What's your last name?
2: Velt. V and Victory. Oh, E-L-P-P. you're the Velt family. Oh yes, yes.
1: <laughs> Did you live in Kansas or someplace? No. Uh, Wisconsin and Michigan. Oh, Michigan. Okay, okay. This- okay. Yes, I remember your family your the name well. Yes, yes. I'm one of <laughs> the Gleason boys.
0: That's so funny. Uh, and by, okay. by the way, Joel, um, you have now told your last name on the radio across the country. So, Gilbert, you brought out that last name. But you guys are like having a family I'm reunion here it. right now. <laughs>
2: You've nothing wrong with that. Um, That's awesome. We, my my parents were with Navajo Gospel Mission from uh, fifty, see, 55 till, through part of 59. I was born in 58. Yes, we yes. Were, I was 19 months old when we moved back to Michigan. But oh, uh, Okay. My That's- all growing growing up all my whole life, I always heard the story of the four martyrs and I didn't realize there was a Gleason family connection to it too there. That's uh, very interesting to find out.
1: And itinerant nice. because we, well, Bert, ahead, Gleason. Bert spoke ahead, Bert Bert um and his father did some itinerant preaching and they they preached in with our mission to the Navajos like in 1947 or something. And, um, and Bert always reminded me of that. And so when I went to Peru, when he introduced me, he always introduced me as he grew up with the Navo because he knew that was a connection that these, that the Peruvians would understand that I, I understood what it was like to be with a, with a, a group like that. Yeah.
0: Oh, how fascinating. Joel, thank you so much for your call. And what a great, one of the things I love about the story here, Gilbert, is, is first, I mean, the generational impact. I mean, your life is impacted here. Joel calls. His life is connected. And and that's what, was it, Eugene Peterson put it, long obedience in the same direction. And that's sort of a big part of what we're talking about here right now. I want to open up again, people, to take calls in just a moment as well. 877 877- 548-3675 is our number. Again, it's 877-548-3675. I love when we have these like connections with somebody who knows somebody as well. We're talking to uh, Gilbert Gleason. The book is Love So Amazing, the missionary biography of Bert and Colleen Elliott. Love missionary biographies. Hope you're being encouraged by this as well. Jesus is still sending missionaries around the world. we we'll our conversation in just a moment. Hey, we're back, and this is Dead Central Live, continuing our conversation with Gilbert Gleason. The book he's written is Love So Amazing, the missionary biography of Bert and Colleen Elliott. And I'm, I'm interested in um, why do you think, um, Gilbert, that we so focus on, um, you know, and again, for, we focus on the martyrdom because people have powerfully given their lives, but we miss decades sometimes of faithful ministry, uh, that is just God-honoring as well. And you talk about, of course, in Love So so Amazing, the book is Love So Amazing, the missionary biography of Bert and Colleen Elliott. Why, why, why are people not just rushing to buy every missionary biography of people who served for decades? Any, I mean, I guess you would hope they would be, but any insight into why do you, people are less inclined to have these conversations?
1: Of course, the, the death is much more um, dramatic and more newsworthy it's just like our news today they don't they don't do news on the person who goes to work every day and and um and faithfully does his job they do it on the on the killing that happens down the street and i think Mm -hmm. the same is true of 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 the martyrdoms is is it's much more dramatic but people are out there and i'm running the missionaries all the time that have given their lives to faithful service, my my parents are one of them. They did forty years on the, with the Navajos, and and it's that that faithfulness that sometimes we we forget about. I started to tell the story. They, when they right after Jim was killed, they went back to to South America. They ended up because of things not working out right. They ended up going to Cajamarca, which is up in the mountains, and God, they fell in love with the mountain people. And then the coastal people, and so from that point on, they they did their itinerant ministry, not just up and down the rivers, but they would go. It would take three or four months at a time in the river, and then in the mountains, and then on the coast, and that's where a lot of those churches. They'd go all over that country. They never had children. They desperately wanted children, but never God never blessed them with that, and so it gave them that freedom to have this itinerant lifestyle that that allowed them to go all over northern Peru, um, just starting these little churches. I remember going up to Calmarco with him, and we'd stop at a town on the way up, and he'd point them out, and he said, there's a path that goes up over this hill. You go on the other side there, and there's this group of believers that are there faithfully following the Lord because they'd, they'd walked those paths all their lives. And powerful, that's the type of powerful. thing. that's yeah. the type of thing that's not newsworthy, you know, sometimes it's easier, I think, to be a martyr for Christ than to, than to live a full life for Christ. And it's that faithfulness of year after year after year, um, sticking by the stuff that really marks their lives and many people like them as as faithful followers of Christ.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think that fidelity, that long-term service, and, and you know, from, from someone who—I mean, I love the way you described—well, I guess Elizabeth described— Bert as uh, not particularly f- spent, fantastic in ways that Jim might have stood out, but he served the Lord and faithfully served the Lord. And the story of missions is the story of that. Let me encourage you. We've got just a few more minutes. If you want to give us a call, 877-548-3675. Maybe you got a question about Bert and Colleen Elliott. Uh, maybe you got a question about long-term mission service, 877 Five four eight three six seven five. Um, you know, when I was there teaching in Trujillo, um, I was training um, nationals, indigenous leaders, whatever term you would call it. My Spanish, mi español es muy malo. My Spanish is very bad, but through a translator, I was I was teaching. <laughs> I in do Spanish. know
1: of the school there. They talked about the school there, so I'm aware of the school you're at. Yes.
0: Yep. 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 And so, um, so when I was teaching there, it was you know there were some pastors, but it mainly it was regular folks who were doing their training. What what did you know, how do they encourage nationals, indigenous people, ordinary people to share the gospel?
1: They rarely traveled alone. So when they go up and down the river, you would they would write in their letters, you could they always had somebody with them. When they went into to the coast or the mountains, there's always somebody traveling with them. And so they, they taught people by by letting them see firsthand how it's done and, and encouraging them to preaching, encourage them to door-to-door, encourage them to build relationships. So there is that that hands-on discipleship that um, that was was a key to their ministry, and so that what we would call ordinary people were constantly sharing the gospel. And it's still going on. There's still there's a, a church planting movement that's headquartered there in Trio that's still going on today because of it.
0: Yeah, the amazing thing's going on, and it's it's been just neat to watch how the Lord's been working you know, but, but again, it happened because somebody went there and shared the gospel to start. And this was not, you know, I got to come in and, and teach, and that's great. You know, I got to come in and, and, and train the, You might be three generations away from where they had been ultimately sharing the gospel. What what was the secret to their longevity in Peru? I mean, that's a long
1: time. I think it was their intimate walk with with God through the years. And just this love for the people that God gave them. They would come home on the field, and, and you had a hard time calling them, saying they came home, because to them, Pru was home. And he always felt like he connected with people better in Peru than he did in the U.S. And, you know, I've heard some really powerful preaching, and, and people here loved him, but, but he he felt needed down there, and he felt like he was really... Making a difference in people's lives, even in their later years when he was no longer preaching and and they were doing very little travel, there were people coming through their house every day um, hmm. to visit with them and to be encouraged by them, to be counselled, to be prayed for, and and there's just that that sense uh, that they had that God has us here for a purpose. He said to yeah. somebody, you know, when are you going to retire? And he says, Well, God, when are you going to move home? He said, Well, God called us Peru, and He's never called us back. And we're going to stay there as long as we're useful, and and that he ended up dying there. So,
0: wow, I think we got time squeezing one more call, Marvin from Grayslake. If you can make it quick, we'd like to hear your question, and your comment. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, thank you. I think that uh, one of the most frequent uh, uh, things that happens to us, promises that we make that are broken, are is I'll pray for you, and I'm wondering if uh, Gilbert has a particular account of some type. Uh, some time where uh, Bert and Colleen had a result, and they said this could have only happen because somebody was praying. Oh, I love that question,
0: Marv. If you stay in the line, too, we're going to give you a copy of the book as well, and let Gilbert, Gilbert answer. Gilbert, where does prayer play into this? What are some maybe account of this?
1: I can remember a very specific account where, where they were, you know, they 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 didn't talk about money. They never asked for money. They never they never wrote letters hinting at money or anything like that, but there's one case where he writes a letter to a sister, and they, I'd entitled the, the chapter "Don't Share this," because he says she says twice in this letter, "Don't share this because it makes it look like they need money. But there is one time when they're almost out of money, they wanted to make a trip to, to Lima. they didn't have the money for that. they needed to have their car fixed, and they just prayed that God would would send them money. And, you know, the mail would come and there'd be no money in there. And, and Aunt Colleen was, you know, Bert had to go to Lima, but Aunt Colleen said, I'm not going to be able to go. And, and they prayed. And then um, the second time they, they went to the post office, and there were only two letters there. One was from Elizabeth Elliott. And, of course, it didn't have money. <laughs> and um, okay. and it was a newsletter from her. And one was from her sister. And out of that, you know, dropped a check for $100. And they're able to get the car fixed, they're able to buy the tickets, and turns out, you know, a day later, somebody else said, owed oh, them money paid back the money, and it's those kind kind of things where they, when they had those kind of needs, they went to the Lord. They didn't go to other people, and they could say specifically. And she she said, "I cried all the way home after we picked up our mail because God is so faithful to to the little things and to knowing what's going on." Another instance that's a bigger one is. And there was a time, I think it was early 1990s, where the shiny Path, the communist group, and the drug lords were very active in the jungle there, and their their lives were under threat. And there was talk about should they move out, should they make some big changes? It had, no, it had to be late 80s, and make some big changes. And they just prayed, and they just faithfully stuck by the stuff, and God protected them. But there was a there was a, a bounty put on their life at one point, and and um, they just they just kept faithfully serving the Lord there, and God protected them.
0: So great, Luana. I want to apologize. If we could not get to your call, Luana, Paul, Suzanne. Uh, lots of calls. Sorry, we 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 uh, we ran ran out of time there. But such a great conversation today, and so thankful for Gilbert Gleason joining us in this conversation. the The book we're talking about is "Love So Amazing," the missionary biography of Bert and Colleen Elliott. Deeply thankful for. Their life, their legacy, but also Gilbert Gleason for telling that story so we can all be blessed here today. Let me thank my guest Gilbert Gleason, thank the team behind the scenes. I already mentioned my producer Karen Hendren, engineer Courtney Young, um, uh, Chris Papendick is on the phone, and let me encourage you to tune in next week. We're going to be talking about Christian camping. I'm going to be at uh, ridgecrest foundation and art sneed will be there and we'll be talking with him and also rob ribby as well we're going to be just kind of talking through what christian camping does and what it means we might have a little conversation about the challenges in the midst of a pandemic and more you'll want to tune in for that to hear today's program again you'll find it at edstetcher or on the moody radio app you can connect with us on all the social media you know twitter facebook uh, whatever else instagram it's all at edstetcher live let me remind you again And Ed Search Live is a production of Moody Radio. Moody Radio is a ministry of Moody Bible Institute, and I hope you're encouraged by these missionary stories today. Thanks, Gilbert Gleason, and thanks to our listeners.